there's no sort of right time, no matter what phase in your life you're in. Something that feels uncomfortable or it might not be quite the right time is still worth it to try. I mean, frankly, if I've had experiences where I've thought, gosh, this really isn't the right time for this, or maybe I'm not quite ready for this, but understanding that, frankly, if they don't think you're doing a good job, they'll let you know. And I've never had that happen. So being bold enough to step forward, I think is really helpful. And that's advice I definitely give to people. Welcome to Lifting Up, Lessons from Verizon Women Leaders. I'm Sally Hubbard. In each episode of this special series, we celebrate a Verizon role model. We hear their success stories and glean wisdom from the ups, downs, and detours of their journey. By amplifying diverse voices, we learn the unique superpowers that each one of us brings to the table. Today, I'm here with April Boyd. She's the VP and head of global public policy for Verizon Media. Congratulations, April. You are killing it. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Could you describe your current role at Verizon Media? Sure. So I'm vice president and head of public policy for Verizon Media. We are a media and tech company with 30 consumer brands, things people know and love, like Yahoo, AOL, Tumblr, HuffPost, and we reach a billion people around the world through our brands. I lead the team responsible for our work globally with government officials, regulators, civil society, and other stakeholders. So that sounds like a really big job. When did you start this job? It's a job I started with Yahoo and one that I've been really pleased to continue with after Verizon's acquisition of Yahoo. And how long were you doing the job with Yahoo? I've been with the company seven years, and I've been in this role since early 2016. I'd like to hear about your career path. What brought you to um, Yahoo and how did you start your career? Yeah, so like a lot of people who work, I think, in the government affairs, public policy arena, it's kind of a big political junkie. And I ended up getting an internship at the White House right after college. And I thought I was going to get my PhD and study political science. And I was like, oh, this will be really great. And I ended up just absolutely falling in love with D.C. and making a life there and staying. So you got an internship at the White House, and who was who was the president at the time? President Clinton. Wow. And then where did you go from there? After that, I worked in some federal agencies doing communications. And then when the Clinton administration was ending, I ended up going to Capitol Hill, where I worked as a press secretary for a House member, Ellen Tauscher, and then for Senator John Kerry when he was in the Senate. And then I ended up being fortunate When my former boss, Ellen Tauscher's longtime chief of staff was leaving, she asked me if I would come back to be her chief of staff. I was almost 30 and it was just, it was a great opportunity. I really enjoyed it. From there, I ended up going into the Obama administration and ran legislative affairs at the Commerce Department there. And then from there, went to Yahoo. And so you were having this exciting career on the Hill and um, then working for the Obama administration. And and what made you make a switch and come to Yahoo? I love the products and I love the brand. And it's like a brand I know and use and have for some time. But I think it's also really exciting to be in a space where the laws are being written. And for somebody who does what I do and want to engage constructively with governments, civil society, other stakeholders. It's a great space to be in. And now um, looking back at your career, are there certain highlights that stand out for you or particular proud moments that you have? 
I have a lot of proud moments. I think one thing I'm really proud of is having been nominated by President Obama to be an assistant secretary at the Commerce Department. At the time, I was the youngest Senate-confirmed nominee, and it was kind of a crazy time. Like, I was still counting my daughter's age in months, and that was definitely just a great feeling of like when you're a kid and you're told you can you can do it all and it was a great feeling of okay this this might actually be possible maybe you can have like a, a family and a great career so you went through like a whole confirmation process and everything is that is that it did true? yeah was that stressful no um it was fun honestly i really somebody said to me that they thought it was fun to watch me because i was like really loving the moment. <laughs> I was like, for are you are you kidding me? For like 12 years, I've been like one of the people in the back. And like today I got a seat and a glass of water. And that was like really exciting. <laughs> but it wasn't controversial. And you also had just had, you had, you said you were counting your daughter's age. And so she was, you had a baby at home. Yeah. I mean, I literally like nursed her right before my hearing so that I wouldn't need to step out and do that. But it was really great. I'm really blessed to have an awesome supportive husband, an awesome supportive mom who are, you know, we're kind of all in it together. Maybe that's the the key to staying calm during a Senate confirmation hearing is to nurse right beforehand. and <laughs> <laughs> Or to not be controversial. Be, be completely seat deprived from early motherhood. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. And, and it's really great that you're able to enjoy the moment. I think that's probably a rare quality. Well, it was like I said, I figured out it wasn't going to happen again. So yeah. I should savor it while it lasted. I got like two questions too. So it was really, <laughs> I was on a panel and I got very little questions. And then could you talk a little bit about, about your role at Commerce? Yeah. So I ran legislative and intergovernmental affairs. Um, the Commerce Department is a super interesting agency with lots of different parts, much like a business and different business units. So they're responsible for everything from climate satellites to spectrum to export controls to promoting international trade and economic development. So I think it was a really great opportunity to work with incredibly smart people who are experts in all these different fields and really tell that story of what that agency was doing, whether it was to members of Congress or governors. Wow. So you've had a very exciting career. Looking back, are there any other things that stand out? You told us about getting appointed to commerce, but what are some of the other things that are highlights for you? It's a challenging environment for tech right now, but I think my job is really great. It's great to work for an internet company with brands that are trusted and known by people around the world. And every day I feel energized. I know that might sound Pollyanna-ish, but really energized by the promise of the internet and what it can bring and do for people, whether it's their ability to communicate with one another or connect or just know the world through the information they're able to get because of the internet. You still have hope that there's promise. I do. And I think a lot of it comes from being proud of the brands that Verizon Media represents. There are more than 30 different consumer brands within Verizon Media, and those brands have a long history of being trusted by their the consumers who use them around the world. Looking back on your career, are there some things that you know now that you wish you would have done when you were starting out? I think that when I was first starting out, I really struggled to kind of be being focused on wanting to find a job that would give me work-life balance. And I think as I got more established in my career, I started to understand that 
that wasn't something that came with a job. That was something that you needed to both create and earn for yourself. And so that's been something that I think has been helpful for me to under, like my 40-something self now knows that my, you know, 20-something self did not, didn't fully appreciate. I'd love to unpack that a little bit because I think what happens a lot with women is, I don't know, we almost cut short our ambition or we curb our own potential because we're too worried that if we take on a big job or an exciting opportunity that we won't have balance. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I do think that has helped me in that regard is really kind of understanding what you need and what you need at that moment in your life. And so when I got this awesome nomination to go to the commerce department, a lot of people said to me, like, you're crazy. Your daughter is so, you have this baby. (laughs) But to me, I was like, well, you know, because I knew it was going to be an all in way beyond more like a nine to nine job than than a nine to five job. And it turned out to be a good age because she was so young. I know that it's not the same for all people. But, you know, understanding that now a lot of times I oftentimes like will leave work now, have dinner and get back online and work more from home. And frankly, my job, because I'm working with people in Asia and can talk to them at, in the night or Europe and can talk to them early in the morning does allow for that type of flexibility. So you said you don't have to look for a job that has the work-life balance, but you have to make it for yourself. How do you go about doing that? How do you make it for yourself? Well, I think it's knowing and being confident that you are adding value and understanding that the value you're bringing to your company and your role isn't from sitting in a desk for a certain number of hours a day, but it's really from the experience that you bring. I mean, certainly I work hard. Everyone in our company is working hard because, you know, we are super proud of Verizon Media and and want to do good for the company. But understanding that it's your experience, it's your judgment, and frankly, now in the era of technology, for better or for worse, you can be reached, you can dial back, you can plug back in from home, and you can and you can do that kind of work that you need to do. Yeah, it's tricky, right? It's like on the one hand, the technology allows you to go and do something that you need to do as a mother and still be accessible. On the other hand, how do you ever have work stop, right? I mean, right. the boundaries are not clear. Have you learned to draw your own boundaries or how do you go about dealing with that challenge? One thing is I I don't complain about work at home. My daughter sometimes will be like, why do you have to work? And once I started sort of apologizing for it and my husband heaven love him, like intervened. And he's like, mom works because she's really good at it and she has an interesting job. And so I really appreciated that. But, you know, I think just making sure that I try to be in the moment wherever I am. So if I'm in a meeting, I want to be fully engaged in that meeting and contributing to that space. Or if I'm with my kids, I want to be in that moment there. So you have to learn how to shut off all the things that are going on in your brain. I think women are really good at that by nature. No offense to... You do? I don't know. I Sometimes I am, and sometimes, I'm, personally, sometimes I'm good at it, sometimes I'm not. Are there any other lessons learned that you would share for women who are trying to achieve their career goals, apart from not trying to just look for a job that has career balance? Yeah, I would say there's no sort of right time, no matter what phase in your life you're in. Something that feels uncomfortable or it might not be quite the right time is still worth it to try. I mean, frankly, if I've had experiences where I've thought, gosh, this really isn't the right time for this, or maybe I'm not quite ready for this. But 
understanding that, frankly, if they don't think you're doing a good job, they'll let you know. And I've never had that happen. So being bold enough to step forward, I think, is really helpful. And that's advice I definitely give to people. Yeah, I think it's very common to have a feeling of not being ready for something, right? Mm -hmm. Especially among women and the imposter syndrome, which is absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, I think men have it as well, but it's more prevalent or more common among women. And I think it's easy to think, well, I'm not ready. I need to do these other hundred things before I can be qualified for this. But you wouldn't be getting the opportunity right. if you weren't ready, right? Right. And honestly, if if you're not doing a good job, the people you hired to do that job will definitely let you know. And so be bold enough to try it. If they didn't think you were ready for it, they wouldn't give it to you. And also this idea about there not being a good time. I mean, I think... Like you said, you got the big opportunity for commerce when you had a baby, but when is it a good time, right? There's always something, some right. reason. Maybe it's your kids are now in elementary school and they need your attention, or maybe you have an ailing parent that you're taking care right. of, right? It's not just about it's not just about people with kids, like people who are single, people who are married without kids. Everyone has a family, mm-hmm. right? Whether that family is your aunt, your mom, your cousin, or your kid. And so I think understanding what your family is to you and how you want all of your pieces to fit together. But not saying, well, this thing is going on right now, so I really can't take something on. You've always just stepped up when the opportunity came. Yeah. And I mean, admittedly, I'm really fortunate in that I have an awesome supportive husband, an awesome supportive mom who are, everything doesn't fall on my shoulders. And I think about somebody like my mom who was a single mom and working so hard to like raise two kids on her own. And, you know, that's a challenge, right? How do you create that community that can support you? If you feel pulled all the time, whether it's you feel pulled at work or you feel pulled at at home, Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely a recipe for feeling overwhelmed. And if you can compartmentalize and be happy with what you're doing fully in, in that moment, I think that definitely helps. Did you have to hone that skill or did you already always have that ability to be in the moment? It's a good question. I actually know I have a very short attention span, but I am able to focus on one thing for a finite period of time. Yeah, that's good because I think that's a, a skill a lot of people are losing in the digital age because of so many things being, you know, constantly coming at us. Right. Right. And I worry about it with the younger generation because they're just used to this constant input and just the way I see them switching between tasks at such a rapid pace. Yeah. And I mean, my job definitely requires me to move from one thing Mm -hmm. to another, whether it's like very positive strategy to something a lot more in the moment and more kind of rapid response related. And I'm definitely able to, my job definitely requires me to toggle back and forth between those things quickly, but I make a lot of lists. A lot of lists. And you check them off because, and there's also like, (laughs) I don't, I get through like half of them and then I start a new list. See, what I do is I make lists and then I lose them, which is really ridiculous. It's okay. (laughs) Do you make electronic lists or paper lists? Paper. That's interesting. The difference between paper, it can make a real big difference, I think, if you're a paper person or, and then do you stick with the rule that you should only have a few things on your to-do list for a day or do you just brain dump it all out and then go through it? Brain dump it all out. I never get it done. (laughs) I never get it done. But like all people, you have to prioritize, right? And how do you prioritize? It's a really good question. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's really prioritized for me. Uh Uh-huh. So by what's the most 
what's the most pressing need? What does my boss need? What's the big meeting I have coming up? What does my team need from me in order to succeed? That's like, that's one thing I definitely am very mindful of as, you know, leading this team with within Verizon Media is, you know, making sure you can care a lot, but if you're a roadblock to getting stuff done for your team or a bottleneck in some way, really trusting the people you work with, but like creating those opportunities. So that's one thing I definitely try to always move off the to-do list. Stuff other stuff that my team needs from me. They need from you in order for them to continue forward on their projects. Right. So that's one of the top things that you prioritize. Because this is a big, this is actually a big thing. Like, you know, we all have so much to do and figuring out how to prioritize. We actually had um, last season on Lifting Up, Michelle Eiffel said she uses joy to prioritize, which I was the first time I'd ever heard of that. So KonMari. <laughs> this is so Marie Kondo of her. I love it. <laughs> yeah, right? So, I mean, it seems that no one can really get through their to-do list. And a lot of people then take it as a feeling of failure at the end of the day. Like, I haven't gone through my to-do list, so therefore, I've failed. You know, I think one thing that's really important for managers to do and leaders to do is really clear contracting with people and let them know what you expect and what they can expect from you. And I have had people on my team before say, I needed you to do this thing. And then you you don't want to forget to do that. But I think that if people know, for example, like if I tell April that I really need these three things from her, she's going to get it done. And so, you know, while everything everyone wants you to do can be quite overwhelming, I do think you can rely on the people above you and the people who are on your team to let you know, like, what are their biggest priorities. And that kind of helps set my own priorities as well. Not all needs are created equally. And I think that, I hope that people in my organization and elsewhere know that when they tell me they need something, they know that they'll get it from me. It's important to be reliable like that, right? Yeah. When it's the same thing that you would want from from others. And throughout your time here or even throughout your career before being at Verizon Media, have there been mentors who've helped you along? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just, I might tear up a little bit, but um, my former boss, Ellen Tauscher, passed away recently. And she was really great. She was a member of Congress, an undersecretary of state, a mom raising an awesome daughter, and I was really stopping to think about, you know, I worked for her twice, both as her press secretary and as her chief of staff, and really thinking about what she taught me. Because here's this woman who was one of the first women on the New York Stock Exchange and then went into Congress. And in Congress, made a like really defined her mark around a couple of issues, equality, as well as a strong national defense. So here's a woman who on Wall Street, one of the very, very first and few women in Congress, you know, in the 90s, not a place where a lot of women were in like amongst generals and others. And thinking about, I really was stopping to think about why was she so comfortable in those situations? And she was very smart and very sharp and very confident in herself. But I think also seeing difference as an opportunity to shine. And I think that she did it just beautifully and really thinking a lot about other lessons I learned from her. She loved to speak in alliteration. And I think she's very plain spoken and from New Jersey. And I feel like I'm pretty plain spoken. I'm from Iowa. So I think that's something that definitely I honed from her. But being respectful of people, 
understanding your audience, right? And being one of the only women in the room, how do you hold yourself as an equal and somebody who ought to be listened to in this conversation and being prepared, being early, being ready, being the you know, making sure that no one in that room knows more than you. And it's just really, I think that she was a wonderful example to me. And I think to a lot of, I've heard a lot of women say that she was a wonderful example to them too. And honestly, really putting your conscience first. And, you know, there were some things that, you know, that members of Congress take tough votes all the time. And I think that at the end of the day, those who say, this might not be the most popular thing for me to do at home, but at the end of the day, I have a job to honor my personal ethics and my own code of ethics and my own conscience more than it is to get reelected. I think those people are people who just end up having a, a wonderful reputation and no matter what happens, can be proud of how they have served the American people. And I really admire her for that. And I think there are a lot of just lessons for, not just for women, but for anybody in that. And then I've also been, there are some other women who've just been really fantastic to me. My boss at the energy department, Natalie Weimer, is now at SunPower. Takedra Mawakana, who was one of my bosses at Yahoo, is now at Waymo. And just seeing how these, you know, it's funny because when you think about mentors, I don't know why they all are women, but it's kind of turned out to be that way. That's actually pretty rare from the people that I've interviewed. I mean, I think it's common, more common at Verizon, but a lot of places in the economy, there's not really women above you to be mentors a lot of the time. So that's really interesting. It's really amazing that you had that opportunity. I wanted to follow up on a couple of things you said. First of all, what is it? What do you mean you spoke speak with alliteration? Can you give an example? Oh, um, oh, so and so. You know, this was really great because it was polished, presentable, and all around perfect or something like that. I don't know. That's not a very good example, but, you know, saying something like. Okay. Wow. I've never, I've not heard this advice before. This is new advice. It's not advice that I. No, but. It's just something I appreciate. But you learned it from her, right? And you implemented it in your career. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I guess. But that's interesting. I've never heard this advice and I've heard a lot of advice. So alliteration. Just like speak in a way that makes sense to people. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Definitely speaking very plainly, clearly making it accessible, right? Yeah. And not not vague. You know, that not vague, I think, is important because sometimes I think it can be hard for any person in a manager role, man or woman, to be really clear and direct. And sometimes, especially when you have to give not great feedback or you need to articulate something for yourself. And one of the things that we've been talking about through some great forums that Kathy Grillo has hosted is having courageous conversations. And I think that that's something that's really important to do because you can speak clearly and plainly and deliver tough feedback and frankly, ask for feedback on yourself um, and ask for things that you need in a way that is clear and direct without being rude mm-hmm. or hostile. And I think that's something that it's a good skill for all people to practice. It's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like a rare skill. <laughs> I mean, I've had some managers or bosses who are, are good at it, but definitely some that are not. You know, I don't know that I'm good at it, but it's definitely something that I try to do. And I think that one thing that my, I hope that my colleagues would say about me is that I do take great pride in being authentic. 
So whether that is understanding when things aren't going super great of being comfortable enough to articulate it and like, okay, well, here's the situation we're in and how what's our plan around it? And just letting people know that, you know, sometimes we're all kind of struggling with with an issue or trying to figure it out, I think is helpful. Authentic is another one of those things like be present that we hear a lot that be authentic, but it's easier said than done as well. You know, what was that something that came natural to you or is that something that you've also cultivated? I think it's something that comes natural to me for better or for worse. I'm from Iowa and people in Iowa just really are not phony and they have no time for people who are phonies. And so, I mean, it really is for better or for worse. Like I've cried in a team meeting before. (laughs) It's okay. There was a lot going on. It's okay. I wanted to follow up also on another thing you said about your mentor that she taught you to always be prepared and make sure that you knew more than anyone else in the room. And I think that is a kind of common way that particularly women operate. Mm -hmm. And I like to think of it as like the preparation gap. Like we prepare so much for things Mm -hmm. and it can be exhausting. And if you think about it compared to a guy who doesn't prepare for every task times 100, Mm -hmm. how much less energy he's expending getting those same tasks done you as could, like a woman. like learn Latin or something <laughs> amazing. Another good lesson that I gleaned from her or perceived from her is because she had a background in Wall Street, you had to make a decision with the available information to you at the time, right? If you're a trader, if you think about it, if you're a trader on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, You get the information you can, but you cannot dwell upon it forever. You cannot learn every bit of information. You have to make a decision. And at the end of the day, if your decision wasn't correct, you'll know it. And then you will need to figure out why it wasn't correct, figure out what to do better or differently next time and move on. And so that is, I think, one thing that I think has been helpful I couldn't have told you this 10 or 12 years ago, but I think it is something that I've definitely gleaned and picked up on is that you cannot dwell on a decision, whether it's the floor of the New York Stock Exchange or working in an internet company or, you know, if it's just a life decision, things will pass you by if you are sitting there trying to get every bit of information there is. At a certain point, they don't call it women's intuition for nothing. Get the best information you can and be confident enough to make a decision. So avoiding that analysis paralysis, right? Exactly. Even though you might be prepared and be the smartest person in the room, you're also going to act decisively with what information is available and you're not going to kill yourself to keep turning over stones and... Right. There's often not one choice that is the perfect yes or the perfect no. Every decision has consequences. And usually not one is not 100% good or 100% rotten. Make the decision and move forward. I like that. I also like the point that you just made that things will pass you by if you don't make the decision. Absolutely. So you have to think about the opportunity cost. Yeah. Not making a decision is a decision, right? That's what they say. Absolutely. <laughs> and like the worst kind. Yeah. I'd rather make a decision that turned out to be wrong and learn from it than just sit there waiting for somebody else to decide it for me. And not make any decision at all. I also want to ask you, what does the Verizon credo mean to you? 
I like it. And so I was new to the credo when um, Yahoo got acquired by Verizon. And I like all the different elements of it. And to me, the parts in it that speak the most to me are respecting one another, communicating openly, and really seeing change as an opportunity, not a threat. This is something I really see, you know, obviously there's a lot of movement in the sector, a lot of convergence happening. And this is something that I've seen Verizon's leadership, Hans and others really talk about in embracing that environment, an environment where there's a lot of change and a lot of things happening all the time and seeing it as a real opportunity. And I think it's when leaders can present things that can be scary, whether it's scary or just nebulous as a real opportunity is where organizations can really succeed. So before I wrap up, are there any more lessons that you have learned in your career that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, you know, I think I got a great introduction to DC when I was a White House intern. So like a lot of White House interns, I was a great student, super into politics. And I remember I you know, I was the outstanding political science graduate in my university. And I, so I went to the White House intern coordinator and I told her that I was not very happy that I was photocopying. And she gave me just a great life lesson. And she was, she was very blunt, but not rude. And she was like, listen, we have a saying around here that you have to be a Rhodes Scholar to Fax and a Fulbright Scholar to photocopy. So (laughs) you can go back to that office and you can be the best photocopier they've ever seen, or you can get on the next plane back home. And I was pretty speechless. And I went to the bathroom and I cried. And this woman who to this day is one of my best friends was an intern in that office and came into the bath, like followed me into the bathroom. And she's like, it's okay. So many people have been coming in here and saying the same thing. Like, you're not alone. It's okay. And I kind of pulled myself together and I was like, well, I guess I'll go back to the office and be the best photocopier they've ever seen. And honestly, to me, it was like just, it is such a crystallization of what it takes to succeed in Washington, D.C., and I think elsewhere, which is be modest, right? There's always somebody who's really smart, really incredible. Just be modest about yourself and like your place in an organization. Take pride in your work, no matter what that work is. And um, probably a good takeaway that's it's okay to cry, but like cry in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) So... That's what I would say. Sometimes you can't cry in the bathroom, like with a team meeting that you discussed before. But no, it's okay. But there was what, a lot going on. When is when possible? Yeah, when possible. When possible, Asterisk. retreat to the bathroom. That's great. And I, I, you have to thank that woman who was very harsh. But hey, she gave you a good but it, life I mean, lesson. But honestly, if you think about it, she wasn't harsh. It wasn't personal to me. It wasn't. She was just saying very clearly what was needed and what was expected and what was my role in this whole thing. And so in that sense, you know, it wasn't personal. It wasn't an attack on me. Uh, Well, that is an important lesson to learn. And it's funny, I can remember so many times being like, why did I go to college or even after law school? Why did I go to law school for this? You know, (laughs) so I've been there myself. Do you have any other things that you want to share before we done, we're done? Or do you think you've said what you wanted to say? No, this has been really fun. I want to do it again. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. It was great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Lifting Up, Lessons from Verizon Women Leaders. 
Tune in next time for another inspiring story of women leaders forging their paths to success and sharing the lessons they've learned along the way.